Thank you. I am just delighted to be back. I would tell you to turn with me, but you can in a moment. But I first want to put it up on the screen. The text I want to share with you is something that the Lord just really quickened me. Now, when I say the word quicken, that's old King James English. It's not about your software for your taxes, okay? But the old term quicken means to make alive. How many of you, when you're reading the Bible, that the Holy Spirit will just make a certain verse or passage alive to you? Amen. Well, this is what happened, and I believe it's not only a timeless truth, but a timely truth for us right here, right now. Let me ask you this question before we turn to the text. How many in, in the current crises through which we've been going, it's just occurred to you that uh, we just might be living in the last days? You know, I mean, the things Jesus described are what we are seeing. And just this one verse, the Lord quickened to me in Revelation. I'll read it from the original Living Bible, not the New Living, but the original Living Bible because that's what I was reading when the Lord just quickened it to me. Revelation 22, 11, they'll put it up on the screen. And when that time comes, and this is just for background, the angel on the island of Patmos was speaking this to the Apostle John about the last days. And he said, when that time comes, all doing wrong will do it more and more. Does that sound like today, folks? The vile will become more vile. Good men will be better. Isn't that good news? Those who are holy will continue on in greater holiness. Now, this is describing the last days, and I'll come to a moment to show you that it's also a command to us, but it's basically letting us know that the closer we get to Jesus' return, the clearer and greater the difference will be between the righteous and the unrighteous, between God's people and the world. And... Uh, now I want to read it from the NIV, so you might turn to it if that's the version you normally carry. And, uh, but you might look at the highlighting on the screen, Revelation 22, 11. Let the one who does wrong. Now notice, it starts with the word let. And the reason is, this is in the imperative mood. An imperative is a command. Now it may sound strange that the angel is saying let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong, in the imperative as a command. But here, what this is really saying in the whole verse is those who are doing wrong, it's your choice, so go ahead and do it. That's what it's saying. It's their choice. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Notice the four highlighted words. Do, be, do, be. There's a do verb and a be verb for the unrighteous, and a do verb and a be verb for the righteous. Now I'm going to take a real chance at your patience and tolerance, okay? Because I want you to remember the importance of these Two concepts of doing and being, they are not the same. So let me share with you three philosophies from my background of study. The first one is, and she'll put it up, to be is to do. Now I think that summarizes what Albert Einstein taught. Okay, secondly, to do is to be. I believe that summarizes what Frederick Nietzsche said. 
Now you'll all remember the third one. Dooby dooby doo. That's Frank Sinatra. Okay, I know it's corny, but you'll know why in a moment I did that, okay? By the way, how many of you are too young for even Frank Sinatra? For you, Scooby-Dooby-Doo. Okay, whatever it takes for you to remember it, okay? But I wanted you to remember the importance of this doing and being because really there are two points I want to share with you this morning. They're about doing and being. And in this text, for the believer, we're looking at the last half of the verb. The verse, rather. Number one is simply to do good. Ephesians chapter 2, you know verses 8 and 9. For by grace you're saved through faith, and that even the faith is a gift. So we're saved by grace, which is a gift. And the faith to believe the grace is a gift. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one should boast. So our salvation is not because of our works. We know that. But then in the next verse, verse 10, he says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Right after Paul says we're not saved by good works, he says we're saved for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You know that, how many know this text? The steps of a righteous person are ordered to the Lord. How many of you believe that? How many, usually, you don't notice that the steps are ordered to the Lord until afterwards. Have you noticed that? You can look back and say, wow. And one of the expressions people say, that was a God thing, okay? I'm not crazy about that expression, honestly, because I don't like God as an adjective, but that's just my personal taste, okay? But it's a divine thing. And you say, wow, God was in that. How many of you have seen that happen in your life? And do you know that what he's saying is that we walk in those good works. In other words, day to day as we go on about our life, he has prepared good works for us. Let me give you a quick example. Not long ago, my, have you ever noticed your kids are really generous with your stuff? Hello? And my son loaned my car to a missionary friend of his, and uh, the guy had an accident on Glenstone, and because the owner of the car wasn't the driver, I needed a special form from the police station in Springfield, Missouri. I had never been to the police station in Springfield, Missouri. So I go into the lobby of the police station, there was only one other person in the lobby, and while I was waiting for the, the woman at the window to go get the form, I noticed him. He didn't have shoes on, he was disheveled, and I just felt an urge in my heart to do something to help him. I reached in my pocket, and I only had a $20 bill. That's all I had. So I walked over to him, and I said, you know, I didn't say God told me to do this. You know, I just said, I felt maybe you could use some help. I just wanted to give this to you. And I handed him the $20 bill. He reached in his pocket and he pulled out a few coins, one quarter and like a dime and some pennies, less than 50 cents. He said, you know, I haven't had anything to eat in two days because this is all I have and I can't even buy the cheapest hamburger at McDonald's. And, she's, and then he said, you know, you're really an answer to prayer. May I tell you something, folks? There isn't much in life more exciting than being an answer to prayer. You think that's just good luck? You think that's just coincidence or think it's just chance? And then I asked him if I could pray for him, and he said, please pray for me. And we got talking, found out this brother was a brother in Christ. Here is my brother in Christ in need there. God gave me the privilege, 
to being an answer to his prayer for very real need. Let me tell you something. There's absolutely nothing I could have spent that $20 on that would have had greater value than giving it to that man and his need. You know what I mean? God's word is so clear about that. So I quickly want to go on because we're talking about doing, but I was sharing, you know, of the good works that may be giving someone $20. Um, I think last year, year I shared this testimony. I'll take just a moment to share it. But on Facebook, I got a private message uh, from someone I hadn't heard from in more than 30 years. And she said, she said, you might not remember me. As soon as she said her name, I remembered Vicki because when Ruth and I were youth pastors in Des Moines, Iowa, we were asked by a pastor of another church. There was a teenage girl. She was not a believer, but she got pregnant out of wedlock, and she didn't want to have an abortion. She agreed to give the baby up for adoption, and she needed a home to live in for seven months. She wasn't even attached to our church, but this pastor asked if we would and Ruth and I just looked at each other. We didn't say a word. We could tell by looking at each other, yeah, we need to do this. And just, that was more than 30 years ago. And do you know that on that Facebook message, she put a picture. She said, here I am. She said, I wasn't a believer when I went to the hospital to have the baby, but because of the way you and Ruth lived in your home, I made my decision to give my life to Jesus. And she said, my son, here's my grown son that I was carrying in your home, and we're serving Jesus because you opened your home to us. May I tell you, friends, that, that very few things in my life have brought greater joy to me than to know that God gave us... Do you think that was coincidence? Our steps were ordered to the Lord and has gone on in Vicki's life and in her son's life. Listen, God created us in Christ Jesus to do good works. But it's not just about giving money or having someone in your home. You know, some of the best works you can do cost you almost nothing. And that is just a kind word, an encouraging word, an affirming word. Do you know the power of our words are good works, both to people and about people? Many years ago, I made a decision on a particular day, and I said, you know what? When someone tells me something good about someone, I'm going to pass it on to someone else about them. Or when I observe them doing something, and I usually go to that person's boss, and I say, do you know, it would be like if, if I saw Brent Brunson do something, I'd go to Pastor Dan and say, Dan, I just want you to know, do you know what Brent did? Isn't that awesome? May I tell you, friends, can you imagine the power of the good works of multiplying our good words as good works? So that's the first point, is simply do good. I'll spend much more time on the second point, but I want to say this as we transition to being, and that is... We do what we do because we are what we are. Now, I'll give you a good example of that. Do you remember when Jesus taught about the sheep and the shepherd and when the wolf comes and the shepherd runs away, instead of defending the sheep, he flees? How many remember that? Jesus said, here's why the shepherd fled. Because he is a hireling. A hireling means someone that's a paid laborer. What he was saying was the heart of that shepherd's motive was not the sheep, it was the pay. Hello? So when the chips are down, how many have figured out 
When the chips are down, you find out who your real friends are. You find out who is faithful. You find out who you can count on. Why? Because we do what we do. Because we are what we are. Now point number two. Number one was do good. Number two is be holy. Now notice back to our text again. He said that those who are to be are righteous, let them do righteousness still, and those that are holy to be made holy still. Now, I want to read this to you from the American Standard Version, not because I'm an American, but because when I did the exegesis in this Greek text, the closest to the Greek tenses was the old American Standard Version I think it was in 1901 that it was first published. Listen to it or watch it on the screen. He that is unrighteous, let him do unrighteousness still. And he that is filthy, let him be made filthy still. Now, notice the difference. The only difference between basically that and the NIV is the insertion of the word made. You see, in the NIV it says, let him be filthy still. But here it says, be made filthy. Why? Because you see in Greek, this is very clearly in the passive voice. Now I'll take you back to English grammar class. Active voice means the subject performs the action. Passive voice means the subject receives the action. The heart of what I want us to see about this scripture today has to do with the passive voice in both the first and the second part of this text. So he says, Though he that is filthy, let him be made filthy. Now I'm going to change the word filthy to a more common word we use today. Polluted. How many hear a lot about pollution? I'm honestly very concerned about the pollution of plastic in the ocean. It's a terrible thing. Why? It's something that doesn't belong there. Pollution is something that pollutes you that doesn't belong in you, right? That's pollution. We are in a polluted, not only physically polluted environment, how many know we're in a morally and spiritually polluted environment? And it is not only a polluted environment, it is a polluting environment. And what he's saying is, you that are polluted, go ahead and be made polluted. Do you know what you have to do to be polluted in a polluted environment? Nothing. It takes no intentionality to be polluted in a polluted environment. Are you with me? So there's even an application for the believer here, and I'll come back to that. All right? But now I want you to notice the passive in the second half of the verse. He says, and he that is righteous, let him do righteousness still. And he that is holy, let him be made holy still. The NIV says, be holy. This says, be made. Why? Because just like the pollution in the first part for the non-believer, for the holy person, being made holy is totally passive. Now, I'm going to stop here and tell you about my growing up. I grew up in the Assemblies of God, but in southern Missouri, it was only one word started with an S instead of an A, and there was no B in it. It was Simley God. What church do you go to? I go to Simley God, okay? And in the Simley God, they say, well, what do you believe? 
Well, we don't do this and we don't do that. Are you with me? In fact, I got to tell you, I didn't tell this first service. Do you know how, how humiliating it was for me in sixth grade at Logan Rural High, uh, Junior High uh, uh, Middle School? In, you're not going to believe this. In gym class, they did square dancing. I had to take a note from my mother. Did you, did you, Dan? How many had to take notes that you couldn't dance? And, and, and listen, so here, the kids are square dancing. Listen, they're sixth graders, man. You know, and I'm sitting over there all by myself, and Peggy McElroy comes over and says, did you turn your ankle or something? What's wrong? I said, no, no, our church doesn't believe in this. Doesn't believe in what? Doesn't believe in dancing. What? Listen, that was traumatic for me. I don't know about you, but hello. But listen, so much. Now, I am not going to say that holiness does not have to do with things we do and don't do. Here's what we need to understand. I grew up thinking that what I did or didn't do made me holy. Only God can make us holy. Hello? It is passive, friends. Now, it's in the imperative mood. That means it's a command. That's why I titled this, It's God's Working. It's Our Choice. You see? God is the one who makes us holy. So it's passive. Now, that's critical for us to understand because, you know, and I said, it doesn't mean that it doesn't affect our behavior what you need to understand is it is not our behavior that makes us holy. It is God who makes us holy. It is an issue of intentionality. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, look at it on the screen where it will show the highlighting. Now may the God of peace, say it with me, make you holy. How are you going to be holy? God is going to make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept. It's not will you make yourself blameless. You will be kept blameless. Notice, God's the one that makes us holy. God's the one who keeps us blameless. Until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. And look on at the next verse. Oh, I love this. Have you ever heard of a mood swing? Or a mood switch? There's a Greek mood swing here. And I'll tell you why. Don't go to sleep. Punch the person next to you and say, Greek grammar is exciting. <laughs> you see, the first part, go back to the first verse, if you will. The one right before that. May the God of peace make you holy. Now, you notice how it said let. That means that's imperative. May means it's optative. Now, we don't have that mood in English it's very simple, though. The optative mood in Greek is a wish or a hope. Paul is saying that his hope for this church is that the God of peace will make them holy. The very fact it's optative mood means it's not certain. It might happen. It might not happen. You say, wait a minute, if God's the one that's doing it, how might it not happen? And I'll tell you why. Because God will not force his will on us. He will make it happen if we surrender to him and allow him to make it happen. It is his working. It is our choice. 
but here is the wonderful Greek mood swing, okay? From the optative mood, he changes to the indicative mood. After he says, I'm hoping God's going to make you holy and he's going to keep you blameless, then he turns around in the indicative mood and said, God will make this happen. No optative mood, no wish, no hope. He says, God's going to do it. Why? For he who calls you is faithful. Folks, that's what we were singing this morning. Great is his faithfulness. May I tell you the strength of our faith? And I'm sure I've told you this before. You know the chapter versions in the Bible are not inspired of the Holy Spirit. Hello? The books, I don't think you have chapter divisions, do you, in the Immersed Bible? You know why? Because they weren't in the original Bible. We didn't have chapter divisions for 1,500 years. Until Bishop Langton. I don't have time to explain that. How many know what Hebrews 11 is? It's the what chapter? I'm sorry, but it's not. It's part of the faith passage that begins in chapter 10. You see, when you just start in Hebrews 11.1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It looks like the, the whole power of faith is in your faith. May I tell you, the power of our faith is not in how strongly we believe. Go back to chapter 10. It says, hold fast to the confession of your hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. The reason you can trust is not because of how strongly you believe. Listen, your faith may be weak. When Paul was in prison, he wanted Timothy Why? Not because Timothy had great faith. He said, but I'm mindful of the sincere faith you've got. He knew that faith, though it wasn't great in Timothy, at least it was the real deal. And I will tell you, a mustard seed of sincere faith is more powerful than a mountain of phony faked faith. But the power of your faith is not in how strongly you believe. It's in how powerful and how faithful our God is in whom we have believed. That's why Paul said, I am confident that he who began a good work in you is going to complete it. And he said that, that well, anyway, I can't get off on that. I'm, I got away from my notes. Isn't that tragic? Anyway, I want you to go to Romans chapter 12, verse 9. I want to talk to you about something else. How many of you would say, before January of 2020, you had never heard the term social distancing? Hello? A new term, right? Okay, put it down. Is this July? July of 2020, I'm going to give you another term. Spiritual distancing. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Now, let me just tell you this, that the Greek word translated abhor, that is the only occurrence of that Greek word in the entire New Testament. The the root of it is a common word in the New Testament. It means hate. But Paul, when he said this, used another word in conjunction with it to make a compound to make it even vehement, fervent hate. 
It's a, a strengthened term of hate. How many of you know there's nothing mild about that, right? He said, so vehemently hate what is evil. And then he says, cling to what is good. You notice he doesn't say, kind of lean away from evil. Kind of lean toward good. There's no kind of leaning to this. You hate it, you abhor it, you have nothing to do with it. And the Greek word translated cling there had to do with adhesives that would stick like glue. He's literally saying, stick yourself to what is good. Hate what is evil, stick yourself to what is good. That's what I mean by spiritual distancing. You see, why do we social distance? So that we don't get where we can be infected by someone else or where we can infect someone else. That's the purpose of distancing. May I tell you something, folks? There's a lot more serious infection than the coronavirus. It's called sin. Coronavirus can kill. Sin will send you to hell. There's a big difference. So when I talk about spiritual distancing, I'm saying abhor it, cling to it. Now, here's the thing. We are still to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I'm not saying by spiritual distancing, stay away from all non-believers. That's not what, we're to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We're to be infecting non-believers with the love of Jesus, with the truth of the gospel. Hello? We are to be having an effect on them. How can you do that if you have no contact? It's, I'm talking about distancing yourself from the behaviors, from the attitudes the sinful behaviors and attitudes and hostility and hatred around us. May I tell you, there has never been a time in my life in this nation where I have seen more hostility manifested in our culture than today. Let me have you speculate with me. What would it be like if everybody, everybody in Bethesda Community Church, everywhere you went, had a smile on your face? And people say, what are you smiling about? I'll quote you for what the Apostle Peter would say. He said, always be ready to give an answer, a reason for the hope that is within you. How many know we have a peace that passes understanding? We have a joy unspeakable that cannot be verbally expressed. And if you've lost that, you need to get on your knees and say, God, as I have been lately, say, God, give me again, reaffirm the joy unspeakable that's full of glory. I need your joy again. I need a baptism of your peace again. May I tell you that if we were at peace and joyful, the world around us would say, what's with you? Do you not understand what's going on? I say, yes, but you know what? I've got an eternal home in heaven. You know what Paul's solution would have been? He said, whether I live or die is not the issue. The issue is whether I'm pleasing Jesus. And they say, that's what mattered to you? Yeah, because one day I'm going to stand before him. I'm going to have an eternal life. Listen, it's time we need an eternal perspective again, friends. I will tell you, growing up, I'm getting off the platform. You know what that means? I'm going to give my personal opinion. I don't preach my opinions on the platform. I will tell you, growing up as a kid, and I'm not saying it's a law it ought to be, but I would tell you, I don't think there was a week went by we didn't sing at least one song about heaven. I was talking to Pastor Dan about this just the other night. We all the words to joy unspeakable and full of glory changed in the twinkling of an eye when we all get to heaven. We could go on and on. You know why? We were conscious 
that we are eternal citizens of an eternal kingdom. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Friends, we need an eternal perspective again and not be infected by the hostility and hatred around us. And I'm going to come to that in a moment, how we can best do that, I believe. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved... Now, the promises he's talking about that are in the verses previous are God's promise to be our God and us to be his people. It's because of the relationship with God, he's saying. Therefore, having the promises of being his people and him being our God, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement. I'll add something to spiritual distancing, spiritual cleansing. Now, I went to Walgreens yesterday, and you know what I found? I found the coolest little sanitizing bottle. I got two of them. Gave one to Pastor Dan. He's got one. He just gave it to Pastor Becky. <laughs> hey, six months ago, were we all walking around with bottles in our pocket? And you know what? It's good. It's healthy. It protects you. What about spiritual sanitizing? What about spiritual cleansing. He says, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, physical defilements and spiritual defilements. He said, cleanse ourselves. I'm not going to ask you to show hands. I'll bet every one of you took a shower or a bath this morning. You did it on a particular day. Do you know what he's saying? There are two kinds of tense in Greek. I've told you this before. One is called linear. Say linear. The other is called punctiliar. Say punctiliar. Here's the difference. Linear is an ongoing action. Punctiliar happens at one point in time. This is a punctiliar action. Cleanse yourself. He's not saying go on withdrawal from it. He's not saying wean yourself off of it. He's saying stop it. I think, isn't there something on YouTube? Bob Newhart's a psychologist or something. And they come for counseling. And all he says is stop it. You know what? That's all the counseling some people need. Just stop it. Now, let me give you an example of a spiritual defilement, okay? Unforgiveness. Do you know unforgiveness isn't just an issue? Unforgiveness is a sin. At the end of the Lord's Prayer, because when Jesus taught the disciples, it really should be called the disciples' prayer, it was for them, but it was the Lord's Prayer for them to pray and the only part of the prayer that had a condition was, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And there's only one footnote on the Lord's Prayer. After he finishes, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, he said, for if you do not forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will not forgive you yours. You say that's not fair, but it's the truth. So if you have a spirit of unforgiveness, listen, it's not something you wean yourself off of. It's not something you go through slow withdrawal. You stop it. You forgive that person. You know, if, it, if they know there's an issue, go to them. Please, if they don't know, don't go to them. 
Have you ever had someone come to you that had an issue with you? And I had this guy, he, by the way, later became a friend. He came and he said, after I preached in a church in Springfield, Missouri, and he said, uh, I need to ask your forgiveness. And I said, who are you? And he said, well, he said, I've had a real thing about you. I, I, and I realize after I hear you preach that I'm not, you're not the person I thought you were. I said, do I know you? He said, no, but I know you. I said, how do you know me? Well, because you come into uh, this department of headquarters and you have a friend there and I just didn't like you. I said, have I ever spoken to you? No. Now, okay, so I said, well, I forgive you. He goes, why I go on? What is it about me that someone I've never met that doesn't like me? Hello, How many know it wasn't edifying for him to tell me his issue? Let me have a vote. Let me see your hands. I count time. If, listen, if it's just in your heart, just confess it to the Lord. By the way, I didn't step off the platform. What I'm telling you is the truth, okay? <laughs> anyway, so what he's saying is cleanse yourself of whatever defilement it is. Stop it. If it's unforgiveness, forgive that person. You can forgive someone on any given day. Hello? But perfecting holiness is a linear tense. You don't perfect holiness by not square dancing in gym class or taking your earrings off. You know, my mother could not wear a pearl, not a single pearl. How many of you ladies know what I'm talking about? She could not even wear a single pearl. I want you to know, at Bethesda, there's none of that bondage. You can wear fishing tackle, ladies, on view at Bethesda. I've seen it. Some of you do. Some of you could catch a largemouth bass with one of those earrings. I've seen it. But I'm telling you, listen... Perfecting holiness is an ongoing growth where you are, back to our text, being made holy by God himself. And you say, how is that going to happen? You see, we're truly new. Do you believe that? If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. But we're not totally new. Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. By the way, that's the active voice. That's something you can do. You can present your body in consecration to the Lord. Okay? He says, and do not be conformed to this world. In the next verse. He says, don't be conformed to this world. Now, that is not active. That is actually the Greek middle voice. I don't have time to explain that. But the force of the action is not active. Okay? The determination of the action is you determine whether you're going to be conformed to the world, but you're not the one that conforms yourself to the world. The world conforms you. Hello? In fact, I want to jump to another translation. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 from the Phillips translation. He's, I love the way he says this. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. That's a great way of expressing it, okay? Now, here's the thing. We all know we're a work in progress. As I've said, we're truly new, but not totally new. And I don't know about you, but I've been serving the Lord since I was seven years of age. That's more than 60 years. And... I get kind of discouraged at my lack of progress. I'm not going to ask you to show your hands if you get discouraged at your lack of progress. But if you do like I do, 
I have really good news for you. Don't give up on yourself. And I'll tell you why. Because God hasn't. Can I say that again? Don't give up on yourself. Because God hasn't. In, in, in this iPhone here, I've got so much stuff. I've got 12 different versions of Scripture, including, including several Greek texts. And, and I have under the notes section something, a, a, a file I just called Daily Texts. And, and now I added Revelation 22.11, because it's one I need to be reminding myself of every day now. You see, when the Lord quickens a text to me in my Bible reading, when he makes it come alive to me, I copy and paste that into this file, and I've got like 50-some texts that I read every day. It's my daily text list. Some of them are convicting texts. Some of them are testing texts to force me by God's word to evaluate my own personal life. And some of them are incredible comforting texts. And I want to share with you one that's very close to the top of my list that I read every day. Because every day I get discouraged at my lack of spiritual progress in being made holy. And I read Psalm 86 verse 5 from the New Living Translation. Oh Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive. I tell you, friends, you can have gone 500 times. He's still ready to forgive. You won't forgive yourself. You want to give up on yourself. He doesn't give up on you. So ready to forgive. So full of unfailing love for all who ask. Would you say those words, all who ask? Say it again, all who ask. That's every one of us if we'll just ask. There's a linear tense Jesus used that sometimes people think is punctiliar. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be opened. That isn't punctiliar. They're all linear verbs. He's saying keep on asking. And you'll receive. Keep on seeking. You'll find. Keep on knocking. You know why? He's full of unfailing love and hasn't given up on you. And is there to forgive all who ask for his help. In closing, I just want to share one quick testimony. My dear sister Judy, five years older than I, went to be with the Lord a couple of years ago. I held my sister's hand. I stayed up with her all night in ICU and had to turn her every 10 or 15 minutes. She only had one lung, severe curvature of the spine, and was gradually not able to breathe. And I held her hand in the bed until she breathed her last breath. I still miss my sister Judy. But you know, my sister Judy's life is still speaking to me. And I'll tell you why. Because my sister changed in her 40s. She, in her 40s, she did, became someone totally different than the sister I grew up with. Oh, she was a Christian all that time. But she and I had issues. You know, I've got proof on film at Christmas. I would hang the tinsel on the tree. 
She'd come and take it off and hang it on again. I couldn't even hang the tinsel right. And then one, one night I was preaching out in New England and she called me. It was before cell phones. And she said, I got to ask you to forgive me. I said, why, Judy? She said, when we were kids, I used to lie to mom and dad about you. I said, yes, you did. <laughs> and I said, of course, I forgive you, Judy. But what I didn't, I noticed something. After that phone call, she was a different person. I thought it was a phase. My sister's going through her sweet phase. <laughs> and after a few months, I drove to her house. I said, Judy, I got to ask you something. You are not the sister that I grew up with. I said, something happened to you a few months ago. I said, what was it? She said, Pastor, encouraged us to get into Bible reading. And I read a lot of books, and I got into more Bible reading, and I was reading, and I won't even tell you the text because it's a whole separate, separate sermon. And she said, I read this one verse, and the Holy Spirit made me realize that I did not live up to that verse. That verse did not describe me. And she said, I said, I cried out to God. I said, God, I don't want to be like this anymore. God, I want you to change me. And he did. My sister changed, was set free from one verse of God's word. That's the power of God's word. Yeah. Let me tell you, it didn't happen for 30 years. Don't give up on yourself. God hasn't. Because God will still intervene in your life. Very quickly, I summarize. What are the two points? They're so easy. Number one, do good. Number two, be holy. A friend of mine, Dr. Deborah Gill, who's retiring in a few weeks from the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary, brilliant professor, once said this. I heard her say it, and I wrote it down. She's a very knowledgeable person. That's why this thing meant so much to me. She said, knowing it isn't enough. It's living it that counts. Now, I've shared some insights of Revelation 22, 11. I hope you learned something today about that text that you didn't know when you came today. But may I tell you, knowing it isn't enough. It's living it that counts. I want to give you three things that I simply call living it. Number one, practice doing good works. When you have an opportunity more than you ever have before, let me give you a little tip. If you feel an urge to give someone $20, do it. It isn't worth $20 to miss the chance of being God's answer to prayer in somebody's life. Whatever it is, just do it. A kind word, an encouraging word, an affirming word to someone else about someone else. Number two, practice spiritual distancing. You say, Randy, what does that mean in practical terms? I'll tell you where to start. Media. Distance yourself from the pollution, the moral, spiritual, hateful, hostile pollution of media. Whether it's social media or broadcast media. 
I'm not saying never watch the news. I'm saying don't live on a diet of the hostility and hatred and division that is being perpetrated in this country. We live by a different attitude than what the world does. May I share with you? I'll tell you one thing. I'm so tired of angry people. I threw this text in at the last minute. James 1, 19 and 20. This you know, my beloved brethren, James says, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. He doesn't say never be angry. Be slow to anger. Why? For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You can't obey Revelation 22, 11 for the righteous person to do righteousness and do be doing it in human anger. Anyway, that's a little extra sermon I threw in. Point number three. Practice spiritual cleansing. You say, what's the sanitizer? What's the cleanser? I will tell you there are two properties. First of all, live in and under the word. I'm so thankful Pastor Dan has got you reading the Immersed Bible. Let me tell you, if one verse can change my sister's life. Do you have any idea what can happen when a whole church is reading through the word of God together? The power of the word. Live in the word and I said under the word. What do I mean by that? Submit yourself under the authority of God. God's word. Everything you do must be submitted under the authority of God's word. And secondly, seek, depend on, and surrender to the Spirit. Why? The Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And I will tell you just a simple practice I have when I'm reading the Word of God, and the Lord quickens a passage to me, whether it's a convicting passage particularly or whatever. I just put my device in, in my case, I'm not reading from a paper Bible much anymore. I'm reading through multiple translations in my phone, and I, I drop it down, and I put my hands in a receiving position, and I say, God... Holy Spirit, apply this word, this powerful truth of my life. Change my heart. Change my attitude. Change my desires. Change my faith. May I tell you, friends, if you just ask the Holy Spirit, He will cleanse you. You cannot make yourself holy. Only He can make you holy. In closing, I want to share with you that there's a difference between being ready to go to heaven and being ready to leave earth. I was ready to go to heaven when I was seven years old in Aberdeen, South Dakota, when at 911 Third Avenue Southwest, I came home from a Thursday night adult prayer meeting and Bible study. By the way, back then they didn't have super church or kids church or anything. They stuck us on the adult pew and went Thursday night Bible study. I don't remember what the pastor preached, but he preached the word, and the Holy Spirit applied the word to this seven-year-old kid's heart. I went home and knelt down by my cot, and I said, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my heart. I want to give you my life. I was seven years of age, and you know what? I was ready to go to heaven. Do you know you're ready to go to heaven? On the day you are born again, you are ready to go to heaven, and it's it's not complicated. It isn't easy, but it's not complicated. It doesn't say if you know the Apostles' Creed and can quote it and believe it, 
you'll be saved. It doesn't say if you know the 16 fundamental truths of the assemblies of God, you'll be saved. It doesn't say if you're a faithful attender of Bethesda Church and you tithe and attend faithfully that you'll be saved. It says whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You're watching online at home, right where you are. You don't even have to be here at Bethesda. Right where you are in your living room, if you're watching, you can just say, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my heart, change my life like a seven-year-old boy did by a cot. And he'll come in and change your life. You'll be born again and you'll be ready to go to heaven. But you see, I'm not ready to leave earth until I've accomplished what God wants me to accomplish. And only he knows when he's done with me. So I won't know. But there's another thing. I'm not ready to leave earth until I'm ready to stand before Jesus in the way that the Apostle John says. And I close with this, 1 John 2, 28. He said, now little children, abide or live in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you to let the Holy Spirit apply God's eternal word. Just one verse or maybe others that I've alluded to, but just the choice to do good and to be holy. To really be made holy. By putting yourself under the authority of God's word and reading in the word. By submitting yourself and surrender to the Holy Spirit. If you mean that as, as I do and I'm joining you, I'm giving this call to myself as I am to you. Would you just lift both of your hands up and say, Holy Spirit, make me holy. Jesus, I want to be closer to you. Maybe you need to make a recommitment to the Lord. Maybe you haven't been living for him. He's full of loving kindness. And he's ready to forgive. Just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Come back into my life. Take control of my life. I want to live for you because you died for me. Lord, now I pray for these dear friends of Bethesda. Thank you for... They're coming out when there are challenges. But they wanted to be in your house with your people and in your presence in a special way. And I just pray as we go from this place that this simple scripture that is so powerful that describes the end times but also commands us not to be polluted by the world, to do good works, and to be cleansed by your word and your spirit as you make us holy. Lord, may we live it, not just know it, because living it is what counts. In Jesus' name.